Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am your host, Josh McCarty. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? Um, doing okay. It was kind of a tough afternoon here. Re- you know, we're recording, as always, on Sunday nights. Sunday afternoon, uh, if you follow the Sabres, that was mm. just basically, it became background noise halfway through the second period, so basically halfway through the game. Uh, miserable time. Basically, it, it was the sunset to the season of hope. And now it's just we're going to have to see out the season from here on out because realistically playoffs are not going to happen. But outside of that, it was a nice, relaxing and productive Sunday outside of that. So I will say and finish this statement with positivity here and say it was a good day overall. And I'm happy to be sitting down Mm. talking to you and maybe bring some joy to my late night here as we talk some Bill stuff. Well, for more on the Sabres, do not forget to tune into Sabres chat. It drops every Thursday on built-in buffalo youtube luke is putting in a lot of time to that it helps somebody like me who doesn't necessarily follow the sabers game to game but likes to keep track of the hockey team so um you know tune into luke's little project there we'll see how it goes but yeah it sounds like the team is in a little bit of a skid right now but we are going to talk about the football team luca because i think at this point in time sunday night recording monday when you're first hearing this that we're on the tail end of wave one of free agency and for all the dreams of Bean going out there and making a Von Miller level splash again this year, he did warn us that they didn't have a lot of money in the bank sitting there to go sign some guys. And we knew there was risk that they could potentially lose Jordan Poyer or Tremaine Edmonds. And they did end up losing Tremaine Edmonds. But what we've seen the Bills do, at least for this first week of free agency, is kind of predictable. They they splurged a little bit to help their offensive line with the signing of Connor McGovern. They went out and addressed wide receiver with Deontay Hardy from New Orleans. Um, More of like a wide receiver four type who could be a gadget guy. Think of like a a better version of Isaiah McKenzie. We could talk about that a little bit more in detail later on. They brought back a few of their own guys. They brought back Sam Martin. They brought back Tyrell Dodson. They brought back Tyler Matikiewicz. But really, Luca, this really was not a splashy free agent and I'm not surprised. I'm not overly upset about it either. No, this is this is exactly I, I'm trying to think the last time we were live, I believe was our Bills chat live and I our final sign off. You asked me, you know, what's the one last thing to say? And I just said, don't expect anything crazy. Don't hold your breath for a splash signing, anything of that nature. Just expect kind of an uneventful kind of status quo style free agency. And I think that's exactly what we were given so far. Um, they made a couple moves that seem good and, uh, important for the team and the roster building of everything. And then they made a couple moves when it comes to cutting McKenzie, um, and stuff like that. It's, these are all expected items. I feel like, you know, they just needed to bring in a weapon of some variety that might be able to give something different to this offense. They needed to sure up and bring in a guy that they could, you know, start on the offensive line that was better than what they had, uh, potentially. So it didn't need to be splashy to get that job done. But when you're also kind of constrained to a a not bottomless wallet kind of here, like you just gotta, you gotta make it work as best as you can. And you just gotta do your best job accordingly. So I think, I think overall early on, just before we even get into the details of it, have they done an okay job? Have they done a decent enough job for me so far for me to be satisfied with what's happened? Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't have any qualms or problems with anything going on. You know, maybe would we have liked Levante David to be signed and something like that? Sure. But overall, it's not like I'm, I'm upset or pounding the table in frustration with this team. 
it's this is kind of what I expected once free agency started and we got to this period. This is really I hope to maybe have a Levante David. We didn't end up getting that one done, but overall, this is pretty much exactly where I expected us to be. Reading the room on Twitter, taking the temperature of the fan base, it really does feel like to me, Luca, there are three positions on this team that fans are most interested in right now. Linebacker, running back, and wide receiver. And look, we're a week into free agency, and some of the big names are gone, but there are still plenty of big names out there that could be impactful for those positions. And that's really where I want to focus as we kick off this episode tonight is those three positions in particular. And let's start with linebacker because I think that's probably the position that a lot of fans are like, we have to do something because the Bills lost Tremaine Edmonds to the Chicago Bears. If if those of you who don't know, Tremaine Edmonds is no longer a Buffalo Bill, signed an 18.5 APY deal with the Bears. By far the highest contract handed out to a linebacker in this free agency period to the point where APY-wise, he's making double, if not triple, some other guys that we thought going into free agency were comparable to him. Guys like TJ Edwards, Drew Tranquil, Levante David, David Long, signed for 50% of what Tremaine Edmonds got. So happy for him that he got paid. But right now, Luca, the Bills have brought that do- brought back Dobson. Easier for me to say. They still have Terrell Bernard and Balen Spector on their roster, the two rookies from last year. Uh, they brought back Tyler Matikavich, but we all know the book on him. He's much more of a special teams guy. What is your panic level right now on linebacker, knowing that for the most part, outside of guys like um, Bobby Wagner, that the veteran market is pretty dried up? What is your panic level as, as the Bills currently sit at the linebacker position? So with an understanding of where what's available now, you know, where essentially it's Wagner and no one else. Um my panic level is kind of moderate at worst. It's it's a it's mildly disappointing, first and foremost, that they didn't try to get a veteran guy or maybe make an effort to do that, whether that was because they didn't feel like they had the funds to do something like that or whatever it may be. Um, we would just have to speculate on that right now. But overall, they weren't able to make that happen. And those guys are all, you know, spoken for. They're all somewhere else. And your only hope of bringing in someone that fills, you know, checks all those boxes is Bobby Wagner. Who knows if that's going to happen, but you get a sense now that if, if that happens, cool, but don't be surprised if they're just kind of content with what it is. Maybe they draft someone there to add to the mix just because they're okay ish with their options, but maybe having another body in there just in case something else is out there that they like. And I'm not saying necessarily there's, you know, scouting it heavily or anything, but, Maybe that's their thought process. Now they weren't able to get one or two guys, maybe that they tried to get. And then from here on out, it's just, they're going to roll it back with what they have. Um, I'm not overall worried, panicked, worried, however you want to say it. It's, I don't want what we've seen, what we have seen from Terrell Bernard is not good enough for me. I don't think that's going to be anything that we can really hope and rely on. That being said, he's now going to be a full off season as a professional. He's not going to be coming in as a rookie. Maybe that changes things. Maybe the hope within the organization is that changes things. Maybe they look at Balen Spector as a guy who could step up and fill that role instead. Tyrell Dotson's a guy that they've at least had to bring in in emergency purposes or just, you know, due to injuries, whatever it may be. And he has done an okay job himself. Maybe that's their thought process while they're still trying to develop these younger guys behind him whatever it may be 
I imagine this is something they already kind of have planned for at this point in time. This is the, I would hope this is not a surprise to them because they weren't able to sign someone else. Now they're like, Oh crap. What do we do now? I would like to believe that this organization smart enough not to fall into that hole. So having trust in the organization a little bit here, I think that they are where they expected to be with this unit um, moving forward. And therefore there is some sort of plan in place. So that's what I kind of lean my weight into more here. It's like, I trust that this organization has a plan in mind for that position. And what is happening is not a surprise to them. And they're just going to live with this moving forward and have some sort of plan in place on what they plan to do with that position group moving forward. Once we get into the season. So from here on out, if those are the guys they are going to be rolling out with, with maybe a day two slash three pick adding to the mix just for one more body that maybe they like to put in there. Sure. But hopefully that's the plan. That was an understand understood plan for them. Under, once the Edmonds return was not possible. Basically that's kind of the line to me where I'm like, once Edmonds was not able to come back and they evaluated the free agency market and weren't able to land a Levante David, a drew tranquil or anything like that. If they were even looking at them, I'm pretty sure they probably were already projecting ahead, planning ahead, figuring out what they had in house and are ready to go with that. There's already a future plan in mind. So with that, you got, you got to live with what it is and just move forward with it and have a plan in place to do with what you can as best as possible. So it is what it is. So I had said that if the bills lost Tremaine Edmonds, this is before free agency started that I didn't need them to be overly aggressive in filling his spot, but that was prior to free agency because I did think that Edmonds was going to get close to 20 million. But what I didn't know is that the other linebackers like Jermaine Pratt, Drew Tranquil, Levante David, we're all going to be south of $10 million. I think Bobby Okereke was the only other linebacker on the market to this point that got um, eight figures as far as APY goes. I think he got just over 10 from the Giants. So looking at that, there was a part of me as some of these signings were happening, like, man, I mean, I didn't really need them to extend themselves a linebacker, but you couldn't find $5 million in the corner for Drew Tranquil. But the larger point to me, Luca, is A lot of us, me included, I will speak for myself, thought that the Bills needed to shift their assets in this organization to offense. Since they have drafted Josh Allen, they have spent every single first-round pick as far as drafting a player on the defensive side of the ball. They did trade a first-round pick for Stephon Diggs. I understand that. But there's been an organizational philosophy under McDermott to make sure the defense has studs at every level of the defense And a lot of us feel like that they have just been relying on Josh Allen and Diggs' greatness to carry a bunch of Jags on offense. That that could be unfair. There's some good players over there, but you all understand what I'm saying. This is a perfect opportunity to shift those assets. I looked at the Bills' starting defense as what it would be projected right now on week one. The Bills right now only have... Not counting the linebacker position. Let's just consider that linebacker position empty for right now because we don't know who it's going to be. So 10 starters. Of their 10 starters, only two players on the defensive side of the ball are counting less than $7 million against the cap. So understand, eight of 10 players on defense are greater than $7 million against the cap. The only two that aren't, Gregory Rousseau and Kyer Elam, two first-round picks. So you have heavy dollar investments and heavy draft pick investments on that side of the ball. 
if you're going to shift your capital of your team to the offensive side, this is a perfect opportunity to do that. I think Terrell Dodson is a perfect name for this. All due respect to Terrell Bernard, maybe he will grow into that role. I think he's much more of a weak side backer, but maybe by necessity, they have to move him to more of the middle. He did play a little bit of that in college. I think Tyrell Dodson in a lot of ways is like their Dane Jackson at the linebacker position. They've been grooming this guy for three years. Um, he's an undrafted free agent. Dane Jackson was a seventh round pick. He's been in their system. Think of like Dane Jackson. Think of like Levi Wallace. They've been coaching him up. He knows their system. He's not going to be lost out there. He's a good athlete, which a lot those guys don't have going for them. I think the Bills are perfectly content to go into next season, Luca, with Dotson being plan A, mid-round draft pick being plan B. Notice I did not say first-round draft pick. Mid-round draft pick being plan B with Terrell Bernard improvement or Balen Specter improvement being plan C. What do you think about that? We're on the same page. Okay. Uh, we're, we are absolutely on the same page. I, I kind of went in a roundabout way as I always do um, with that in my initial take on the linebacker position. But yeah, I think Tyrell Dodson was kind of their plan. A if Edmonds doesn't come back and we don't magically get Levante David or something. And I say magically, but I mean that as in, we don't know what the discussions were had, but I'm assuming they had a pitch in there for one or two free agents that they liked. If it didn't work out, this is where they were going and where they were going was Tyrell Dodson being the primary thing there, seeing what they have in the draft. If there's a guy that can get in the third round, similar to Terrell Bernard or even a fourth round, whatever it may be. However, you know, the chips fall where they may. Um, that's kind of your secondary option. And then from there, you hope that maybe one of these younger guys already on your roster can develop as a somewhat reliable option. We'll call it for now, just because we haven't seen anything out of them yet. That tells us that you're going to get any sort of reliability out of them. So you just hope that a full off season as a professional into mini camp, training camp, all that fun jazz, they're able to kind of pick things up better there, get a full preseason in, and maybe one of those two develop into something that, if Dodson were to get hurt or they need to just kind of give him a rest, whatever the situation may be during the season, you bring in another guy like Bernard or Spectre. If that mid round pick also doesn't work out for whatever reason, which if that also happens, if they draft another linebacker in round three or four, Josh, and it also looks like a dud after already having Terrell Bernard, and now you're dealing with a seventh round pick and Balen Spectre, it's like, oh boy, we need to talk, have a serious conversation about linebacker scouting because this is not a good trend. Overall, though, yeah, Tyrell Dodson's kind of the main guy now. I would be shocked at this point in time if that's not if that's not what's on kind of the board right now of day one roster, day one starters, is just Milano and Dodson. That's kind of where their head is probably at, and then they're just kind of running it back as it is because you really don't – if they even wanted to try to change something up, who are you going to go to in linebackers to have three of them out there right now? Cause as at this point in time, you're not putting out three linebackers. If your third linebacker is either Balen Spector or Terrell Bernard, like you're just going to kind of run that nickel defense. Like you always do anyways, and just live with it because I'll ask you, Josh, who would you rather have out there right now at this point in time, Terrell Bernard is your third linebacker or just Taron Johnson as your tiny linebacker slash nickel corner that can play inside a little bit for you like he has in the past, because I'm pretty sure, sure I know where your answer is on that one. Yeah, I'm hundred percent with you. And something else I thought that was interesting when I looked in Terrell, Tyrell Dodson's contract, Luca, his contract is a one-year deal, but it's fully guaranteed. 
that tells you he's going to be on the team. So this isn't a situation where it's like Tyrell Dotson in years past has been, hey, come in, like you're a high-level special teams player. You're probably going to earn a spot. But hey, you're Tyrell Dotson. Maybe you'll get beaten out by a bail inspector and, and you could lose this spot. They expect him on the team. It's not a question of whether he makes the 53. It's a question of can he hold down that starting spot. And to your point, if they draft another guy in the in the second or third or fourth round and he looks lost out there and then you compound that with, and this is a lot of ifs, like we're going down a, a hypothetical road here. So stay with me. Um, Tyrell, Tyrell, or there's, there's so many similar names. Excuse me, y'all. Terrell Bernard does not show the improvement you would hope to see from a player that you took in the third round going into his second year. And Balen Specter, you know, seventh round pick. I don't know what you could really expect out of him, but he he doesn't look like somebody you could put out there in your defense. And then the pick that Luke is mentioning this year, whoever that draft pick is, looks lost. That's a bad look for Bean because in a lot of ways, off-ball linebacker on defense is similar to how we talk about running back on offense, where it's supposed to be an easy position to find. You aren't supposed to have to go into the first round to find an off-ball linebacker. You're not supposed to have to go to the tippy top of the free agent market to find your off-ball linebacker. The Chiefs found Willie Gay and Nick Bolton at the end of the second round, and they have been dynamite for the Chiefs. Nick Bolton pops every time you watch the Chiefs. It shouldn't be that hard to find this position. I have full faith in Brandon Bean and the Bills scouting staff that they don't have to spend a first-round pick to fill this hole to compete with Tyrell Dodson. I think they will be fine second, third, fourth round, depending on where the value is whenever they're picking finding somebody that can come in and compete because the way this defense is set up with Von Miller, with Gregory Rousseau, with Ed Oliver, I I assume will still be there. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Daquan Jones playing next to Matt Milano, Trey White, another year off of ACL, the two all pro safeties behind you. We do not need this linebacker to be the best player on the defense. We need him to quote unquote, play his one eleventh, and the rest of the defense should in theory be just fine. Just don't be a liability out there like Terrell Bernard looked like in his one start against the Jets. And it was one start. The sample size is teeny tiny. So it's really hard to get a defined idea of what he looked like. But I think we're on the same page with linebacker. Neither one of us are in a panic situation here. I would say what's going what's going on here is not concerning. And in a lot of ways, and I don't want to sound like a homer, I want to give the Bills credit because they spent a first-round pick on Tremaine Edmonds. They could have tried to extend themselves to keep their guy in the building. And there's just not a lot of data out there that tells you it's a smart move to invest high dollars into an off-ball linebacker. So not only did they watch their first-round draft pick, who has been a star in this league, leave, they didn't turn around and compound that by spending money that was out there on guys like Tranquil, Pratt, et cetera, that we've mentioned to replace them. I think this this feels like the Bills have a very calculated plan here, and that gives me hope. And we'll just have to see how it all plays out. I am not going to worry about this defense if they start Dodson at linebacker. I just I think there's just enough historical data that tells you that it's just not an impactful enough position to feel like we can't win a Super Bowl with Dodson at linebacker. I just don't think that's the case. I think the defense will probably be just fine as long as the other guys I mentioned are there. Another position that has a lot of the fan base up in arms, Luca, wide receiver. Now, the Bills did make a wide receiver move this this offseason. They brought in Deontay Hardy, who formerly known as Deontay Harris. And it's funny because 
you texted me as soon as they signed him kicking yourself because that was a guy that was on your list of names to bring up on our free agency preview show. And you were like, we, you know, we just kind of ran out of time. We rambled and you just couldn't get to him. You're like, I wish I'd mentioned him because the bills ended up signing him. So just for that, what, what did you like so much about Hardy and what kind of fit do you think he is for the bills? He adds something when healthy, when on the field that I felt the bills just don't have anywhere on the roster. They don't have a guy who is a legitimate threat anytime with the ball in open space and has sub four. I mean, he's four, three, mm -hmm. uh, what was he? Four, three, two. I want to say it was his 40. Technically it was something around there. He's, he's a sub four, four guy. And even like an Isaiah McKenzie, who people like to be like, he's the speedster. He was over four, four in his 40 time. Like he was not a sub four, three guy. Like, Deontay Harris, I'm going to call him Harris because this Hardy thing is going to be hard to get over because I just know him as Deontay Harris. Deontay Hardy um, is just someone that I felt would add an element that this offense absolutely needs for one. If you're an elite offense, everyone needs to have that guy. Think think about the Chiefs and then the Dolphins and all those things. Obviously, Tyreek and Jalen Waddle are blue chip, unreal talents with that speed, but when I pull it back to the chiefs. Now you have your me Cole Hardman's and all these other guys that they just kind of plug in and go, but you have to account for how fast those guys out are out there on the field. And that's just a difference maker. I mean, Michael Hardman would make plays against the bills and you're just like, it's frustrating because it's me Cole Hardman. Like this is not Tyree kill. This is me Cole Hardman, just some depth speed bum, quote unquote, that you just, he kills you because he's just that fast. Like Deontay Harder Hardy has that ability in him. Health is obviously the concern. I'll, I'll be honest, Josh. The only reason I didn't bring him up, and I even said this in some of my friends' group chats and stuff, I was kicking myself like crazy about it, was I actually for some reason thought he was still a restricted free agent, but I was reading something from last offseason mm -hmm. because he was a restricted free, free agent then, and I was just like, we can't do restricted free agent signings with our current situation because you're just throwing an offer sheet and immediately it's going to be matched, and you can't invest your time and effort into someone like that if you're the Bills. So that's on me is what it is. You know, you kind of just <laughs> move on with your day. I'm, I'm, I, I feel like maybe I'm in the minority here where I'm actually excited about the trading. I'm not over the moon about it. The concerns of is he just recently had the surgery on his foot due to the turf toe that held him out for 12 games. A lot of stuff going on there with his injuries kind of uh, adding up here in his short pro career already. That is a concern. But with a guy with his ceiling, we'll call it, where he truly can add a dynamic to this team that no one else has the potential for on the roster currently, and I don't know if they're going to address that in the draft, to me, it's just something that was needed and absolutely is a must for this for this locker room, for this team, for this offense. And my hope is then just Ken Dorsey really wants to try to utilize something like that because they felt the need to sign someone like him because being on his his physical abilities or his physical attributes are not like he's going to be dependable on the outside all the time, which he can play. He has shown he can play the outside position of wide receiver, but he can be moved all around the field because he is a weapon. He is just a, he's a piece. He's an offensive weapon, an OW that you just kind of plug him in for certain situations and try to just get the ball in his hand. However it needs to, whether it's 50 yards down the field or four yards behind the line of scrimmage, Hopefully they don't kind of do the Cliff Kingsbury school of uh, Rondell Moore and throw him the ball on average of negative 3.8 yards from the line of scrimmage. Like I would like to see them maybe do it a little more positively than that. I don't need him just to be the bubble screen guy. We'll call him, but 
overall, it's just a fun weapon to bring into this offensive room and try to exploit something just because he has that raw speed that can really just turn a simple little play that might get you two, three yards into 30 yards or whatever it might be, or you can house it at any point in time because he's, he's just, I, I call him a little shifty bottle rocket. That's, that's what he looks like. Anytime he's on the field, anytime you've seen him for some reason, I seem to watch a lot of saints games too. It just, I don't know why in my football setup, it they're always on one of the smaller TVs on the side in my setup. You know, I've discussed it in the past. I got four TVs there. I got two that are smaller ones that are like, I'm interested in these games, but I don't need to pay attention to them. And every time it seems like a Saints game is on the side there. And he was always someone that you you just, you your eyes naturally would grab over to him when he's on the field. And you're like, this guy's fast. Like he's exciting to watch. Clearly he's a guy you want with the ball. So I'm excited in the sense of they felt the need to add someone like him to this offensive group. Like they, they recognized uh, what elite speed was not quite there. It's just not present with where the roster was bringing a guy like him. Hopefully he can stay healthy and we know how to use him. Uh, Dorsey, please know how to use him. And then we can kind of exploit that and really explore a new avenue of getting yards and getting points out of this offense with a guy like him. So we're trying to figure out what we have here in Hardy. <clears throat> Brandon Bean in his press conference that he did at the end of last week, kind of wrapping up wave one of free agency referred to him as their wide receiver four. Which means basically a guy that can play inside, outside flexibility. Think about the Gabe Davis role, his first or second year in the league when he was playing behind Beasley, Brown, Diggs, um, inside, outside. I think what this is going to amount to, Luca, is basically Isaiah McKenzie with much more polish to his game and a much more versatile weapon. At his best, he is a dynamic weapon for this offense, and a lot of smart, quote-unquote, football people really liked this signing. PFF loved it. Sam Monson from PFF said this was one of his favorite signings of the entire free agent period. I think where a lot of Bills fans have pause is really two points. One, the money did pop when the initial contract was reported. I think it's important for folks out there to know that NFL contracts are largely fake. There is the reported money of essentially what you could make in the best case scenario of your contract. And then there's the reality of what your contract is, which is the bottom line guaranteed money. If you don't know, NFL contracts are largely non-guaranteed deals. So it really comes down to how much guaranteed money is in the deal. Generally speaking, it is the agents who leak these contracts to the media when these deals are signed. So you always get that initial maximum value as the reported deal. So when Deontay Hardy's deal was reported as a two year, $9.5 million deal, you're thinking, holy cow, they love this guy. But the reality of it, when you look under the hood, it's essentially a one year deal with a 3.75 cap hit and the bills can get out of it very cleanly after one year. That makes it a lot easier to stomach. The other thing that I think makes this deal a little bit makes Bill's fans apprehensive about this deal is I think it's a fallacy of free agency that a lot of people suffer from. It's kind of like if you're going grocery shopping, right? And you know, you have to get the main dish, but maybe you walk past the side dishes first and you're picking out like your baked potatoes and your salad. And the person's like, wait, wait, wait we got to get steak. It's like, yeah, we're, we're going to get steak, but like we have to build a meal here. So we're going to add some vegetables. We're going to add a baked potato just because I sign 
Hardy doesn't mean that we think we're done with the wide receiver group. They could, they could think that their wide receiver group is in great shape as it is. I would doubt that, but it really does come down to what they think about Gabe Davis. We can talk about that here in a little bit, but I think the initial reaction from bills fans, when you see that reported two year, nine and a half million dollars, which is fake agent money. And you compound that with, you're all waiting since the season ended. You saw the bills lose to a team right now in the Bengals that are kind of the flagship for how to build weapons around your young quarterback with T Higgins and Jamar chase. And then Gabe Davis had a disappointing season and we're all thinking who's going to be that wide receiver to boost this group. And the first move they make at the position is Hardy. It just leaves you wanting more. He's five, six, he's under 170 pounds. It feels more like a toy than an every down player. If you're looking at it through that lens, I would just tell you all there's no game tomorrow. There's a very good chance that the bills are going to add somebody to this group that is going to compete with Gabe Davis for that wide receiver two spot. And then Hardy is going to be in that true wide receiver sport four spot and Khalil Shakir fits in where he fits in. But on the surface, I understand that I understand the panic because we're fans. We want to know the answers to the puzzle before the puzzle is complete. Where are you at with their wide receiver group right now, Luca? They did release Isaiah McKenzie, saving them nearly $3 million against the cap. I think they're hoping that Hardy is an improvement over what McKenzie ended up not being in the slot role. It doesn't feel like that there's really any push in that building to bring back Cole Beasley or John Brown. So as their wide receiver group stands right now, it's Diggs, it's Davis at two. Um, I think you'd have to say Shakir at three with the way they already called Hardy four. I feel like there's still a potential significant move here to this group. Um, obviously, we know all since last year, the Bills have been in on Odell Beckham. Um, we can talk about him. There's other names out there of interest. Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton from the Broncos. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is out there. Brandon Cooks got traded today to Dallas. That takes Dallas out of the Odell Beckham and DeAndre Hopkins sweepstakes. As far as free agency goes, it, it's pretty dry out there. You're looking at DJ Chark. Nicole Hardeman, either one of those guys really moved the meter for me. Um, I, I do think we're probably at that point of the crossroads where it's, is there a veteran that's worth adding at this point, or do we make a significant investment in the draft? But I am not at a point, Luca, where I think the Bills are looking at their wide receiver group as a finished product. I think they know they have work to do. The the thing that I kind of wrap my head around is unfinished business. And that's kind of what I feel like with the wide receiver position. I I don't know what direction, though, that they're really going towards. I, I feel like either trade, free agency, or draft, it's it's all on the table. What whatever it is, it's it's an ever-moving kind of thing going on when it comes to filling that role. But I think the the constant in it is that there is something that needs to be done. And I feel like they understand that Deontay Hardy signing being followed up with McKenzie being cut is of course that natural link there, where as you're saying it, it's just what they hoped Isaiah McKenzie to be. They, they then believe that Hardy can provide that role in that position need for them. So that's a like for like. So realistically where you're at is kind of back to square one um, essentially. And if, if they're sitting there evaluating everything and, you know, just looking at it from a perspective of this is what we had last season and this is where we're at now, they have to feel like essentially they're at the same spot. And to me, this team and this organization and the front office is too smart, I feel like, to feel 
that everything's okay with how it is just run it back. It was kind of a one year situation. Diggs is, you know, off season that has been well documented here has happened not because of that or, you know, the struggles late with the offense, all these factors in mind. I think they are smarter than that. And they understand, no, there is some issues. There are some things they need to address. And that does primarily start with something with the wide receiver group, getting some sort of, you know, some significant upgrade in there or change mix up, however you want to kind of phrase it. They need to bring in something different at that position. I think they started with that on a small scale with Hardy. I think that really is they they identified speed as an issue with this offense or the lack thereof. And they brought in a guy that they know has that open field speed and is something faster than anything else they really have on the roster. Now the next step is to bring in something that is more recognizable as a legitimate outside wide receiver to weapon, because unfortunately Gabe Davis it's again, Gabe Davis is you are starting to know exactly what you have in him and what he got. Even if you look at it in a core stat and production wise was okay it's just not okay enough. And there were too many moments throughout the entire season where drops and, or just a lack of production from his position out wide as the wide receiver two spot was there. That was holding this offense back at one point in time. And that's just unacceptable. If you have the aspirations of the team, like they do here. So you need to do something. Is that going to be Odell? Is that going to be a trade? You know, Odell obviously is signing. And are you going to be trading for Judy Sutton or nuke? I love the idea of DeAndre Hopkins. Me personally, that's kind of where I got my first kind of, if I really, really wanted to, if they could make something work with that, I'm just going to throw it out there. I just would be head over heels in it off, oh, man, just digs and nuke, but that would take a lot of creative accounting. We'll call it, um, or just get rid of a defensive tackle or just get right. Yeah. You know, big, you said it, not me. I mean, although I've said it plenty of times myself, I would absolutely make that move in a heartbeat. Um, are they going to do something like that? Are they going to address it with that blue chip kind of piece that they have in the draft with the 27th overall pick, maybe moving up with that in a package deal for something else. However, they're going to make that work. I don't know. I genuinely have no idea. I just do believe they're doing something with a premium asset somehow, some way to make to address that wide receiver two you know, position, I guess we'll call it just to put, put it in lame terms, just to add a significant piece in the wide receiver room. That is vital to this team. They are smart enough to recognize that. And they, there is no way they're done with the business that is figuring out this wide receiver room. This is uh unfinished business. This is a real thing. And I do believe they still have all things on the table and all options are there. They just might have to be a little more creative with one over the other. So they're probably just waiting all of them um, where that all lies though. That's where I think the question mark really becomes and the frustration as a fan becomes just because I think you said it perfectly. It's, it's a piece of the puzzle, but we want to already know the end result. We already want to see the puzzle built. It's the, uh, the unfortunate part is there's too many unknowns here where it's not, the writing's not on the wall that there's no Lego instructions here to how to get to the end. It's we have to see how it goes and eventually something will happen. I would definitely if I had to bet on it, I would absolutely say something significant is going to happen with the wide receiver room. I think it's reasonable to think that it's possible that Gabe Davis evolves into a high end wide receiver, too. I think it's reasonable to think that last year's fifth round pick Khalil Shakir evolves into a wide receiver that can be one of your top three receivers on your roster and you feel good about him. 
What I don't think is reasonable is banking on both of those things to happen. And for the Bills to not do anything else at wide receiver this offseason, they would essentially be banking on both of those things happening, and that would be poor management. As uh, Bruce Nolan, who I'm a big fan of, likes to say, hope is not a plan, and that would be a hope plan. So I think the Bills do need to make a significant investment at wide receiver. Um, in the draft, maybe. One thing that's interesting, Luca. Last year's draft, there were two trades on draft night involving wide receiver. A.J. Brown going from the Titans to the Eagles. Hollywood Brown going from the Ravens to the Cardinals. There are some interesting names out there for trade. You already mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. There's two receivers in Denver that Benjamin Albright, who covers the Broncos, says he would be stunned if at least one wasn't traded. Jerry Judy, former first-round pick, and then Cortland Sutton. And then there's also been talk about uh, Rashad Bateman from Baltimore potentially being available. I wonder if it's a situation where a team like the Bills could actually let the draft play out, get to draft night, see how the board's falling, and then if it becomes apparent to them that they're not going to get a wide receiver that they've graded out as a difference maker with their pick instead of taking a wide receiver there, do they then call the Broncos, call the Ravens, call the Cardinals, and consummate that deal then? That's interesting to me. The name everybody wants to talk about first and foremost is Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, we know the Bills are interested. Um, there was a report, or not a report, there was a tweet from Odell Beckham over the weekend responding to a report that he was asking for $20 million APY. And he basically responded to it saying, I don't know where it's coming from that I'm asking for 20. I just can't sit here and settle for four. Um, we have reason to believe Luca is that fair to say we have reason to believe that maybe the bills were the team or one of the teams offering for is that is that safe to say uh I safe would fish yeah safe fish I guess safe-ish? Yeah, yeah, safe-ish. Safe-ish. safe-ish we've heard things we we don't pretend to be Adam Schefter but uh we we've right. definitely heard that um it's possible that the bills were the team that offered for um but the Odell Beckham, uh, you know, I, I feel like we've been talking about Odell Beckham since this podcast started and we just hit our one year anniversary. Congratulations to us. But uh, what do you think now? Uh, to, to me, the Odell Beckham appeal was always in 2022, a team that was built to win the Super Bowl, a player that could come in late in the season and add juice to your roster and get you over the hump. That obviously never happened. His health, his recovery, whatever you want to call it, was just not on track to make him a player that come in and impact any team in 2022. So now it becomes a conversation of how much of an investment do you want to make in a player who's over 30 years old, had two ACL injuries, hasn't been on the field in over a calendar year. Where are you at with Odell Beckham? How excited would you be? And where does he fit in the landscape of wide receiver moves that the bills could make in your opinion? Ooh, that last question is a good one. Maybe I'll lead with that one. That's 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 a kicker, man. You just tailed into that one. I, I was going to be real basic with just Odell and not even talk numbers, but in the sense of that question, you have to talk numbers and everything because of the potential investment that could be there and everything like that. And now the interesting part is the tweet you brought up and everything is fascinating because you essentially have a benchmark or an understanding of the window of what he's looking for. He might not be quite looking for 20, but he sure as hell isn't looking for only four. So now you're, you have that $16 million window there where it's like, okay, Odell's going to fall somewhere in there. 
And most likely for Odell, who's probably wanting something longer term, of course, because he's he knows this is potentially uh, maybe the last time he can cash in a little bit. Um, I don't know if teams are going to be wanting to do something like that, but he's going to at least give it his all and or his agent's going to be able or try to give it his all when it comes to get some term of on a contract um, for him. But overall with Odell, I still like the idea of Odell first and foremost. But then when it comes to the ideas of what is out there, I will just say this. Um, first and foremost, DeAndre Hopkins, if it's at all possible, if if the bills can make money work, if everything with his contract doesn't become a major issue, if all these factors, right, are he is the number one to me. I, I just have a personal affinity to DeAndre Hopkins, but as well as he seems like an unbelievable compliment out opposite of digs. Like that becomes a true wide receiver, one, a wide receiver, one B to me, like though you cannot really put one above the other to me. They are both unbelievable world-class talents at what they do. And realistically defenses would have no idea who, I mean, it would be like a hot hand approach. All of a sudden you shift your focus on one guy, but you would hope to God if all of a sudden say they shift a lot of coverage over to digs, putting Deandre Hopkins in one-on-one seems like a horrible decision. So you just can't do something like that overall. I love, love, love that idea. I, I think also you don't have to invest or give back a lot when it comes to return for that. We already saw the Brandon cooks trade that you mentioned earlier um, happen. And that kind of also sets a benchmark for a nuke trade um, being that his contract is even more money at this point in time. So the compensation package would be similar at, best for the Cardinals and it's most likely going to be less a little bit potentially. So it's not out of the realm of possible when it comes to, you don't have to give a ton back for a guy like him. You just got to make the money work. Uh, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. Um, I, I love Judy. I just feel like making a trade work for the Broncos is going to be very, very difficult for a Jerry Judy. It just seems like the expectation or the price that they have in mind for him is just unrealistic, unfortunately. And if I were the Broncos, you have your price on Jerry Judy. You have an offense you're investing in already. And you brought in Sean Payton, unless you get what you're asking for. Why would you like, why would you settle for less for a Jerry Judy? That seems like something you would more do with Corlin Sutton, because then hopefully uh, Tim Patrick, who you just extended last season, then comes in off of his injury and just can fill that role. Um, that's, if I were the Broncos, that's kind of where my head would be at with that. I'm not going to just settle for the best available offer for Judy. I'm going to stick to my price. But a Cortland Sutton, on the other hand, if someone's at least willing to meet us 80% for what our asking price is him, then I would trade him. I would be okay with Cortland Sutton. I'd probably put Odell in the same rank though as Cortland Sutton because Cortland Sutton's a very good player. You know, he's got, he would be a great wide receiver too two digs you know he's a very he would be a very high end wide receiver too to me i just feel like the ceiling or the the playmaking ability that we know odell can bring is just higher right like it's just a higher ceiling that he could potentially bring you yes he's coming off two acls there and all of that and you just kind of have a little bit more of an unknown with him at this point in time but you don't have to trade anything for him hopefully you can get a number that works out and the ceiling is just higher so overall I would rank the, you know, if we're just in a bottle here, ranking these four wide receivers, and I'll, I'm going to put Rashad Bateman in this, so I guess five. I would probably go Nuke as my number one. Odell is my number two. Uh, Cortland Sutton is my number three. I'd put Rashad Bateman as my number four, and Jerry Judy is my number five. And Jerry Judy is my number five only because I, I don't think Denver's going to budge on their 
price. And I am not paying that price for Jerry Judy. It's just too re it's, it's understandable why the Broncos want to do what they want to do with that price. It's just too much. Like that. You just, you cannot put that much into Jerry Judy because now you're going to have to also turn around and pay him a lot of money on top of that. And it's just, that's that trade cost is just too, it's too, it's too big. Like, no, thank you. It's untouchable. Do not do that. Rashad Bateman is the wild card in that whole situation though. Josh, I love Rashad Bateman. I think it'd be awesome if he's pissed off at the Ravens and he's trying to force his way out on top of it. Maybe you can get him on a little bit of a cheap than you would expect. And then all of a sudden you get him in there. He's a great wide receiver two option on the younger side as well. Like that's a really, really cool kind of potential there. I like him, but overall I'm, I'm just too focused on win now. And I think Rashad Bateman could absolutely provide something that this wide receiver room needs at that wide receiver two position. It's just, I like those other guys a little bit more than him. So I just kind of lean towards them. But um, I, if they brought in any of these guys, as long as Judy's cost actually came down, they brought in any of these guys, I'd be ecstatic because that would be the exact answer I would expect for them to fill that wide receiver two spot. And then if they really made it work with DeAndre Hopkins, Josh, Oh boy, the hype train would be absolutely real in the Luca house because I would I wouldn't even know what to I will say DeAndre Hopkins and Odell just for being a fanboy, because I am a big, big, big Odell fan. Um, I'd be very, very ecstatic for because I just I love everything about their game. I love everything about their potential. And it's just that's where you start to approach that wide receiver one A, wide receiver one B situation. And there is nothing better you could ask for than having two unbelievable world-class wide receivers on the same team because essentially it makes defenses not know what to do every snap. I wasn't as interested in Hopkins up until today when Cooks went for two day three picks because all along I was under the impression that Hopkins was going to cost a second round pick and a player. And I feel like that's probably off the table at this point, thinking that he's probably going to go for a comparable value to Cooks, maybe a little bit more, but we'll see. Um, He's my number one if you can get him for a similar cost. Even if it's just like, hey, take a third round pick and you're done. I think I would do that for sure. After that, I think I get to Odell just because what you mentioned, there's no trade. Jerry Judy, I like. My issue with with Jerry Judy really is it goes back to his draft. I like him. I just don't love him. And where I struggle with Jerry Judy is I'm not sure what he does that's special. I think he's very good at a lot of things but he doesn't have like one special trait that is just you, when, when all else fails, you can rely on that. And that's where I just get a little bit less excited about that move. Now there's certainly room for him in this offense. He, I think would instantly be, you know, ahead of Gabe Davis and Gabe Davis's current form. And that's another thing I want to say. I know there's been some talk about also trading Gabe Davis. I personally have no interest in trading Gabe Davis at this point. Unless a team is willing to just give you a first round pick, which they're not, or a second round pick. And, you know, you have a a high level plan there because as hard as I have been on Gabe Davis, he is under $1 million against the cap this year as a guy that has been a starter for the Bills, got almost a thousand yards last year while playing on a bad leg. And I think there's still room for him in this offense to be a high level weapon I just don't know if he can be an every down starter that's effective in a high end wide receiver too. It's interesting. Cole Beasley came out this week and said that Gabe Davis is a top five wide receiver too in this league. So take that for what it's worth. I haven't given up on Gabe Davis. I have concerns about, you know, his trajectory with his, with his route tree. 
I also don't know maybe if the Bills are just using him in ways where it's not maximizing his ability. I don't know. I haven't given up. I don't want to rely on it. I think we've covered a lot of the names that make sense. I think the Bills are gonna. I think the Bills are gonna be in the Odell thing until the Odell thing's over. I do not expect at any point in time, Luca, until Odell has a team that we see Josina Anderson, who is like the best person to go to on Odell stuff, by the way, tweeting that the Bills are out. I I don't expect that. I think they're going to be in it until the end. I DeAndre Hopkins to me, it just has one of those Brandon Bean feels to it, doesn't it? Like you haven't heard them mentioned at all, at all. And then like kind of like with Von Miller, and then randomly you log on Twitter and Von Miller's a bill. I don't know. There's just something about that that it makes so much sense for what he's looking for. And um, you know, we we've heard that sometimes with the chiefs, it's a lot of the same way that running backs always get tied to the bills where whenever a running backs available, it's like, Oh, the bills are interested. The chiefs in a lot of ways are that way with wide receivers. And, you know, we were told by somebody that covers the chiefs that a lot of times the chiefs aren't as interested as the national media makes it out to be. That's agent driven to try to drive up the market. Oh, Mahomes wants to play with X, Y, Z. They could be interested in Hopkins, but that could be more of a product of them trying to use the chiefs to drive up the market. But when you look at Dallas getting cooks today, that takes them out of it. Obviously the jets are out there, but they have a loaded wide receiver room. Hopkins wants to go somewhere where he can win. And he doesn't, he doesn't mind doing a restructure. I don't know. That whole thing just makes a lot of sense to me. And I'd be interested to see if the bills are interested in that. So we've talked about receiver. I've talked about linebacker. I think we have to have a running back conversation because Devin Singletary is still a free agent. Um, that I think that's still a possibility, but at Brandon Bean's press conference, he made an interesting comment about how Naheem Hines and James Cook are both right around 200 pounds and how you would really like to have a running back that brings a different skill set to the table than that. And Devin Singletary is listed at 203 pounds. I listened to Joe Biscalia's, um podcast on after Brandon Bean's press conference Two names he brought up to keep an eye on were Damian Harris and Ezekiel Elliott. Now, Ezekiel Elliott is not the Zeke from five years ago who was just running over the league. He's 27 years old. There's a lot of tread on the tires. But I think the thought at this point, Luca, is the Bills are looking for a 1A, 1B complement to James Cook that is a bigger between the tackles back that can excel in pass protection, not a fumbler, be a goal line back to take some of the tread off of Josh Allen. And I think maybe that's where the Zeke conversation comes up. Um, Damien Harris is still my favorite idea if they're going to go into free agency, but we know where bills fans want to talk. They want to talk about Derek Henry and they want to talk about Austin Eckler. Is there any part of you, whether if the bills can make the money work or if the bills can make the trade compensation work, is there any part of you that's interested in either one of those players? Not Henry. Um, right out the gate. I don't even want to have a discussion about Derrick Henry. I'm just, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want that. I, if it happens, I'm not going to sit here and just mope about it and just be miserable. That's clearly what the bills wanted to do. And they just made it happen and so on and so forth. And it is what it is. I personally just don't want it. Austin Eckler is a fascinating one to me. If you can make the money work with, because you're going to have to sign, you're going to have to trade for and extend. That's what he's looking for. Or it might be an extend and then trade situation for the chargers. However, it works out, but essentially you're the ones getting that in the works there. 
Um, it's it's weird because on the surface and fantasy wise and all these different things, you know, Austin Eckler as this pass catching dynamic weapon and stuff. But when you really watch Austin Eckler, he can provide every element to you. So it's I, I it's like he's not a traditional sense of anything when it's like, Hey, we're going to do smash and dash. We already have the dash with James cook. And all of a sudden you're trading for Eckler and it's going to take away from cook. Yes. It'll take away some from cook, but I don't think that would really be, it would be a perfect compliment to me. It's just not exactly what I think people view it as in the traditional sense. If it's like, Hey, we need that smash Austin Eckler is in the, that smash Austin Eckler can do it all. Austin Eckler is just quite literally a bowling ball of a playmaking weapon. It, he is, He's very unique in that. Like he is everything. So I wouldn't be concerned with it when it's like, oh, he can't do those hard yards. It's like, no, he can. He can literally do it all. It's it's okay. It's if the money and compensation can work in the realm of not ridiculous that I kind of like steer clear a little bit from Austin Eckler, but I hate the idea of Eckler a lot less than Derrick Henry. With that all said, going into the Zeke and Damian Harris signing situation. Um, I feel like the hate on Zeke is ridiculous. I, I'm not sitting here saying I want Zeke. I, I'm, I don't care for Zeke signing myself. But to say that he's he's done, he's over, he's not productive anymore and stuff is also ridiculous. I mean, you don't get 800 yards in the National Football League and 12 touchdowns by being washed and useless. Like, you still have some value there, and he could maybe put provide that. It's not going to probably cost you too, too much. Um, hopefully, but I'm also with you. Damien Harris is kind of where my head's at. I will say Damien Harris being a Bama running back, Bama running backs always have a lot of, you know, wear and tear all on them right out of college. So even though he did kind of have some injuries sitting out times and maybe he hasn't as many carries in the NFL as like a Derrick Henry, of course, he still had a plenty tread on the tires with coming out of college. So he's, you know, he is what he is but he can still provide that true smash and dash one, a one B factor with a James cook. And then Naheem Hines in there for gadget plays or whatever else that it, it makes a lot more sense to me. I, I would be way more excited for a Damian Harris. I'm with you hundred percent on that one, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to be upset about a Zeke. If that's the way they go instead for that kind of compliment it, it, I can't imagine Zeke's going to cost a lot of money. I feel like that's part of it. Like people know the name it's, it's brand recognition. So they just make this assumption that it's going to cost a significant amount of money. I don't think that's the reality. And also this, this whole, I, I'm, I'm going to grandstand a little bit here. This whole, um, like conversation about Zeke and he's not a personality that would like this. And he's not going to accept that kind of role. That is where are you pulling that from one and two? It's to me, a load of BS. Because he's already been living that life for two plus seasons with Tony Pollard. Every imagine if if no one has tapped into Dallas Cowboys and stuff like that, week in, week out. Imagine Zeke just hearing why is he taking snaps away from Tony Pollard, who is the clear better back option that they have. This is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. But it's it's the scale of the Dallas Cowboys media and the national media and everyone day in, day out, just pounding it. And they they show him on the sideline, whether he's, you know, holding a clipboard because he's hurt or he's just on the sideline because he's just not on the field at that point in time. Not once have I ever seen anything out of Zeke that makes me think he's down or he's unhappy or anything like that. He understood his role at that point in time, especially last season. Like last season really felt like a year for the Cowboys where Tony Pollard was really kind of that preferred option between, you know, from their own end zone up to, you know, the 15 yard line whether 
all, unless, you know, Tony Bollard, Pollard needed a breather in the midfield for whatever reason, or they just needed to pick up a yard. And then Zeke comes in and does his business and he's really good at it still, you know, finding slipping through those cracks in between the tackles and finding the end zone time in time out. And he can provide you a reliable pound run game. Like I don't think anything indicated that he was unhappy with that role. Like that's, I don't know where that whole mindset comes from, but if you really feel like signing Zeke is going to be a problem when it comes to his personality, it's an absolute ridiculous statement, and you should absolutely stop saying that. It's it's an unbelievable thing to bring up to me. It's it it's uh, uh, do it for Odell, I guess. But even then, like all these guys are professionals. They they understand the task at hand, and they're able to take constructive criticism and understanding when it comes to goals and what your job is within this team. And they're able to just kind of put things aside at times to get the job done for an overall one team goal. So say about Odell, because there's some evidence about him being prima donna and all that stuff. Cool. Whatever. You can come up with that if you really want to kind of attach yourself to that statement. But saying that about Zeke, when there's absolutely no evidence of it, ridiculous to me. Like I, I cannot believe I'm sitting here defending a former Dallas Cowboy like, like Zeke, but also I don't want to see someone dragged through the mud for something that he has shown absolutely no backing of like that. Stop it. Just stop it. So if they sign Zeke, I'm not even remotely concerned about his personality. I think it makes sense when it comes to, they obviously as being pointed out, wanted to add something different to that running back room. And you're probably not investing a ton of money in bringing a Zeke in. It's probably look at all the running backs that have been signed so far. These are not big deals that, all like the significant contracts you have seen are fake money deals where it's like three years for four, 4.5 a year. Like that, if we can sign Zeke, let's say at this point in time for two years, fake money at 3 million a year, like, okay, yeah, that's fine. That probably means he's making what 1.75 this year with incentives then to add on top of it. And then he, there's going to be an out after the season. And then next year, he's got a cap hit of say 3.8 with an out that gives you a dead cap of 2.5, just throwing crazy numbers out there. But like, I have no problem with that when it comes to Zeke, I'd prefer them to do something like that with Damian Harris, of course. But if Zeke signs that contract and comes into this bills organization, under those numbers, understanding his job, which he absolutely will embrace and be okay with, I'm I'm fine with it. I have no problem with bringing in a Zeke whatsoever in that stance. You bring up a great point about Zeke accepting the role. I'm looking at his stats. He has not had over 300 carries since 2019, and it's not like it's injury-related. He's played 15, 17, and 15 games. I was looking at his injury history, and – he had some knee issues back in 2021, but 2022, a grade two MCL sprain, it cost him two games. But he and Tony Pollard, they had almost identical touch numbers. Zeke had 248 touches. Tony Pollard had 232. So he's already been in that role. And I feel like as a society, we live in this all or nothing, this this mindset of you're. it's almost like you're either with it or you're against it. And so many times the truth is in the middle. And, you know, for those of us that don't watch and live with the Cowboys every day, the only thing you know is when you watch the Cowboys, you always hear every announcer say, well, Tony Pollard's the electric running back. And then you see Skip Bayless tweet out that every time Zeke touches the ball, you're taking a carry away from Tony Pollard as if there's any running back out there that's just going to touch the ball every single time without going to his 
his backup. Um, so I think it's, it's not that Zeke is that all world former top five pick from the Cowboys that when he first came into the league, that would be the extreme of, Oh man, Zeke Elliott, man, this is, this is what we need. But at the same time, is, is he the worst running back in the league? I, I think to Luca's point, he could be a very high end RB two and still very capable of being the one B to James Cook's one A or, you know, vice versa, one A to James Cook's one B, however you want to slice it. And that's where I get frustrated with a lot of these conversations. Same kind of conversations happen around around Hardy, Deontay Hardy. It's like, oh, he's either going to be awful or he's going to be great. Well, he probably is going to be in the middle. That's probably where it's going to end up being. You don't have to like plant your flag. So I'm with you. I think that there's some merit to this Zeke ID ID Zeke idea. I think that there's reason to believe that the Bills are nece- they're in on him. They're kicking the tires. And I think that's interesting. I don't know if I need the Bills necessarily, Luca, to sign a veteran before the draft. They right now only have two running backs on their roster, Hines and Cook. They're going to have four. It doesn't appear at this point in time that Taiwan Jones is coming back. That doesn't necessarily make me upset because, you know, I don't think he had a great year special teams wise. I'd like to see that spot go to somebody that, you know, drafted out of college, undrafted out of college, whatever, have somebody that can cover kicks at a much lower rate than Taiwan Jones as far as pay pay goes. But I will say, like, after the draft, you could still get a Latavius Murray. Maybe Damian Harris is out there running backs. The market is pretty dry at this point. I will say I can tell we're getting close to April, Luca. I know that because I'm starting to think about Bajan Robinson and what he could look like in the Bills offense. And it happens to me every spring. It happened last year with Brees Hall, happened the year before with Travis Etienne. And I just start thinking about it. I'm like, you know, if he's there at 27, he's going to be hard to pass up. Now, look, the Bills, you know, it depends how the board looks, obviously, but I'm just saying. If they, you know, I think if I don't think that anything they do, they say this, if they trade for Derrick Henry or Austin Eckler, I think that takes them a hundred percent out of the Robinson conversation. I think if they sign Zeke or Damian Harris, that doesn't eliminate them from doing anything in the draft. That is a, we bring, I, I love Damian Harris. That's a, we're trying you out for one year. If it works out, maybe we have a second year built in that we can get out of if we want to. Um, but if this stud falls to us at pick 27 and we love him, guess what? We're taking the stud and you're going to make a nice chunk of change for us this year, riding the bench. Um, I think Robinson is probably in play for the bills. I will say though, Luca, before you get mad at me, I don't think he makes it to 27. I think it's kind of a moot point and I certainly wouldn't go down the running back board at that point, but I think they could talk themselves into it because as Joe Biscalia points out, the Bills look at the running back position essentially as two starters. Under Sean McDermott, they always have. It was, you know, until after Sean McCoy's first year, that roster was like half of a roster in 2017. But they had Frank Gore and Devin Singletary. And then it was Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. And then it was Devin Singletary and James Cook. And right now they have James Cook. I don't know that they're necessarily overly confident in Naheem Hines. I think they're looking for that second running back starter. And man, if Robinson's there, he's got some skills that would be hard to pass up. This is not a draft show, but I think we at least need to have the Robinson lingering conversation. We're not going to talk about him as a prospect, but I think it's at least a conversation that feeds into this veteran running back situation. So I just threw a lot at you. The easiest way to spin it to you is 
What do you think about the Bills not addressing it to the draft, letting the draft play out, and then seeing how the chips fall? Or maybe do you anticipate them just finding an answer now and just being done with it? I don't think there's any serious rush. I, I wouldn't find it ridiculous or crazy or just you know outlandish or a mismanagement of the position to not sign someone until the draft. I think veteran uh, options are going to be there. They'll, they'll still be there at the draft, after the draft. I, I think the way the running back market already went in free agency kind of indicated that there's not really a massive rush on running backs and the market's not really there for running backs. I mean, it was to me, honestly, it was shockingly low. Like I couldn't believe that not one team really the, the biggest, the most paid running back in free agency was just Josh Jacobs getting the tag. (laughs) Right. And Saquon too, for that matter. Like, and those made sense when it comes to finances and everything like that, just tag him and move on with your day. Like you can't lose this guy. They're top tier guys at that position, but you're not willing to pay them for future years at that number. So just give them the one year and deal with that problem again, next off season, push it off a year. So um, when it comes to that, I don't really want to have a Bijan Robinson conversation. No. I, I think the way you finished that point was very good because that's where I'm going to absolutely just pound my fist on the table, just plant myself on, look, he is not going to be there at 27. And if they move any sort of position up the board to get him, that is a crime mm-hmm. and you absolutely should not be thinking that as a success for this team. It is stupid. It makes no sense. I am not going to sugarcoat this. I want no part of Bijan Robinson because of what is expected to get him. He is not falling to that. Get it out of your head, everybody. It's not happening. If it does happen, come back to this, capture this moment, and just pound my Twitter with this. Just absolutely spam it with this moment and clip so that all of you can rub it at, and I'll happily accept this L if that happens. And it's probably going to be a discussion that Josh and I have for the next. Oh yeah. And I'm going to constantly be on this stance because I firmly believe in this. I want no part of B. John Robinson and it has nothing to do with B. John Robinson. I think he's unbelievable. He's the best running back in the draft. He will be a dynamic player for whoever he is on the roster for. It won't be the Buffalo bills and it won't be at pick 27. So, I'm not going to even flirt with that idea. I don't even want to have the conversation. It's not happening. That role will be filled either via either and or I will say in this matter, either Zeke, Damien Harris, whatever it is. Maybe they do something crazy for Derrick Henry or Eckler. I don't think that's really going to be the road they go. I I really I'd be shocked, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then and or drafting a day two or day three guy that they liked based on their board and get him in the kind of in there the the uh what you call it um fixed income or fixed salary yeah. on there so it's not anything of you know sub- substance and you hope to god you get something like Singletary or Cook where you're going to get starting kind of output from a guy who is really on a low number so it's kind of maximizing what your return on that that's that's the route they're going to go it's going to be that way Bijan Robinson's not happening people let this be the first of many times I'm going to just absolutely hammer that at you. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to flirt with the idea. I don't want to have that conversation. We will of course have that conversation more and more, but I'm not, I'm not even entertaining it unless by some crazy, crazy situation it does. But I would, 
I'd put those odds at happening at less than Jordan Poyer signing. <laughs> okay. Let, let me, I, well, this is not a draft show, but Hey, we'll, we'll, we're kind of like getting in draft mode. Is your confidence in it not happening more so about you believe he'll be gone by 27 or more so about that the bills just can't afford to spend that asset on a running back, even if he's there. Oh, that's a good one. So my confidence is probably more that he won't be there. Yeah, I will say that, but I don't think the bills are even, and he is going to be a guy on their board, but not with the idea that they actually expect to even draft him or want to even draft him at 27. There are going to be other players. And I think what we talked about earlier with wide receivers, I think that's even in the realm of more possible than drafting mm -hmm. B. John Robinson. They're going to look at their board. They're going to see what's there. And then they're going to understand probably by pick 12 to 15 that what's falling and what's happening is not working out for them at 27, or it's going to be slim pickings at best at 27 for what they have at that grade. And they would rather move that 27th overall pick for a DeAndre Hopkins for a Cortland Sutton. I don't think it actually warrants a first round pick for that, whatever it has to happen because by the way, first round pick is not going to be in the equation for either of those guys, but whatever yeah. it is, they're going to move that pick for something like they're not going to sit there and just accept whatever comes their way. I, I do genuinely believe moving that pick probably even happens before they draft Bijan Robinson. I think they probably have something else in the works, maybe even where they would value that over sitting there and praying that Bijan Robinson falls to them at 27. I, I, I genuinely believe that just all the evidence of what we've seen in the past and stuff. And then understanding the smokescreen that was Brees Hall at pick, what was it? 25, what were we 25 last year? Yeah. And then around we traded the same, yeah, around the you. same position. Yeah. So all the smoke that happened with that, and then it never happened. Like, look, they have shown me nothing that tells me they're going to invest that first round pick in a guy like Bijan Robinson. Why would I all of a sudden believe it's going to happen now, especially for a guy that probably won't even be there. And they understand won't be there by pick 27. They're not going to put a lot of resources into hoping that he falls there. I just don't think that's a reality. I think that the bills, you know, look, they could go out and sign Zeke tomorrow. They could sign Damian Harris tomorrow. I'm starting to feel like what they're going to do is they're just going to hold firm right now. There's enough names out there that can probably accomplish what they're looking for. We didn't even mention Dearness Johnson. Devin Singletary is still out there. They could realistically pick up the phone at any point in time, just bring him back, run it back with the group they had. That would not be my favorite idea. But if you're talking about you missed out, you didn't want to spend a lot of money in free agency, I can get on board with that. You didn't want to spend a first or a second round pick in the draft, I can get on board with that. And then you're sitting there in May and you're like, well, I mean, Devin Singletary, why not? Uh, sure. Um, you know, we we mentioned um, Latavius Murray, Damian Harris. There's there's plenty of names out there. I think the Bills might be smart just to wait until the draft's over, see how it plays out. It doesn't have to be B. John Robinson. It could be a running back that they take at the third round or the fourth round that is just fine for the role they're looking at. And then they just move forward. We, we don't know how it's going to play out. I will tell all of you, if the Bills do not sign a meaningful running back before the draft, the Bills will be mocked Bijan Robinson like crazy up until the draft because any running back that's available gets pointed toward the Bills because the national narrative is the one thing the Bills need is a running game to take pressure off of Josh Allen. So I'm just warning all of you right now, that will be the existence we live in absent a signing like 
well, a trade for Henry or Eckler. I'm not even sure, Luca, if signing Ezekiel Elliott would quiet down the Bijan Robinson conversation. Maybe it would. Um, I think a lot of people forget the Bills took a running back in the second round last year, James Cook, but we shall see. I will tell you, if Bijan Robinson is on the board at pick 27, it's going to be a long 10 minutes for my guy Luca over there. And <laughs> you, might, you might be able to see his reaction live. We'll just leave that little teaser out there for uh, yeah. an update we have coming down the pike here about our show. But Luca, we've talked about running back. We've talked about linebacker. We talked about wide receiver. The Bills did do some other things in free agency. Uh, the first thing they did, though, was they signed Connor McGovern, the former guard from the Cowboys. I did have a chance to interview um, Kyle Humans from DallasCowboys.com, and he does Talking Cowboys podcast about Connor McGovern. I think this is a really strong pick, uh, pick up for the Bills. They didn't go to the tippy top of the guard market. You saw Ben Powers really got the majority of the money there. They went down to that next tier. I thought Dalton Reisner made a lot of sense for them, but McGovern really is very similar in traits. He's a very high-end athlete. He's a very good pass blocker. He has some room to grow as a run blocker. He's only 25 years old. Injuries early in his career prevented him from really hitting the ground running. And then obviously he wasn't going to unseat Zach Martin at right guard. That just wasn't going to be in his potential. There's not many guards in the league that can do that. So, you know, he's a guy that didn't really get a chance to start for the Cowboys until this year. He played very well for the Cowboys. And Kyle Humans did tell me that this is a strong pickup for the Bills. The Bills should feel really good about their left guard situation. What was your reaction to the McGovern signing? And then how do you feel about the line, the offensive line as a whole right now as we're heading into the second wave? I, I like the McGovern signing overall. I think based on, you know, outside the fake number that was originally posted and everything, and when you actually dive into the contract itself, it makes sense for who he is at this point in his career. Um, it's someone that should be, ho they hope to bring in and makes it a starting impact and it is everything they hoped it to be at the left guard position. I think the one thing with that in mind, especially is that the, uh, I believe even being mentioned it and stuff like that, the idea for him is to be slotted in at left guard. And then you were hearing a lot of things out there that he would be maybe better suited for the right guard slot. Um, so that is probably my only like half concern i guess where people in the know kind of liked him better at the other side but we're going to try to give him that shot at left guard because left guard was more of the problem last season so it makes sense when it comes to this is what the bills want to do with this point and with this guy i totally get it um but also it's just like a mini red flag or a mini concern i guess where it's like, okay, well, but everyone says he'd be a better right guard option. So maybe do we want to slide over um, Bates <laughs> at left guard and see him at right guard? Cause maybe Bates could be a better left guard. Who knows? So whatever it is, I think Bates is a solid at right guard too. So you're just, you're hoping that this new guy then comes in and just fills that role. Perfectly fine with that. Overall, like you said, he's already shown he's a good pass blocking guard. He wasn't going to be able to fill that spot for the Cowboys. You're not going to unseat potentially the best guard in the entire league just is what it is. And he found a place here in Buffalo that I think if things go well, if he can stay healthy, everything like that, he could see out past that out they have after the season and see out this contract that he has, because if he, let me, let me put it this way. The way his contract is broken down and everything. If he is a reliable, dependable starter for us without injury concerns and every week comes in and is not a liability and a problem, 
they aren't even going to be contemplating his out in this offseason or anything like that. And they're just going to see this contract out. It's going to go right through, if not, maybe even see a little bit money sprinkled in later down the road to then help build up cap space in the now of next offseason. So it, I think the contract makes sense. The player makes sense where he is in his career, what he can bring this team, everything like that. The athleticism that he provides at the guard position. And then hopefully they can just work on those deficient. There's no one that's perfect out there. You know, everyone wanted to point out his run blocking grades on PFF or something like that. It's like, look, man, I even said it when we were talking about linemen as a, as a whole. I want someone that can prove they can pass block because run blocking should be the easier side of things, or at least the coachable side of things. Pass blocking, you're either good at it or you're not. Like, I've never really seen someone all of a sudden magically become a great pass blocker after being a subpar pass blocker. But you can see a lineman go from not understanding the speed or the scheme or whatever it is with run blocking to all of a sudden figuring it out and becoming a uh, startable run blocking lineman for you. Like that is something that has happened. So it's something that can be coached, worked on whatever you want to say, or maybe he just will fit better in our run game scheme and everything like that compared to where he was. Who knows? A lot of factors can change with that, but he has proven that he can pass block at the card position. And that is what I'm excited about. I'm with you. The Risner was kind of where we, we both kind of came on. It's like, we love that idea. He's still out there. Yeah, so I don't weird. know what's going on with that whole situation. So overall, it seems like they found someone. Cause this was obviously the first signing they made. And it was clear that this is someone they probably had their eyes on someone. They understood was out there that they liked and they just got it done when they could. So I'm happy if, if this was kind of, let, let me wrap up my point with this one, this signing made me the happiest because it clearly showed that the bills were attacking this first. Mm -hmm. It was like, look, this is what we need to address. This is probably a guy, you know, by probably, I mean, this is a guy they liked and they just went out and this is the first thing they needed to check off the list of this is what we need to do in free agency. So in that regard alone, I am happy with this signing. We'll just see how he is as a player and everything like that. But even with the contract in mind, it's not bad at all. I'm, I'm very, very okay with everything with this signing. I'm very happy to see how it works out. Prior to this signing, guard was left guard was the one position the Bills absolutely had to fill in free agency because they didn't want to go into the draft needing to find a starter. They needed to find a starting left guard this offseason from somebody who isn't currently in their building. The only option they have on the roster currently prior to McGovern signing was Ike Botker, who was strong a couple of years ago, had the ruptured Achilles late in 2021 against New England, did not look good in limited play last year when he got back and then was an inactive down the stretch. Uh, I, he's back as a depth player. That's great, but they didn't want to pigeonhole themselves in the draft knowing they had to find a starting guard. So it made sense all along that they were going to splurge and find a guard. That makes that makes a lot of sense to me. I think they're still going to be eyeing a veteran tackle in free agency, somebody that can quote unquote compete with Spencer Brown, although we both feel that the bills are much higher on Spencer Brown and believe in him as the future of the right tackle position. We've heard Brandon Bean. Why I say we both, I, that's how I feel. I, I, um, I feel like the bills are higher on Spencer Brown than maybe we are at this point, but Ryan Talbot of New York upstate did confirm that the bills have at least expressed interest in Brandon shell, a right tackle from the dolphins who fits the prototype of what the bills are looking for has a very high RAS score is a guy that's played more right tackle than left tackle in his career is a better run blocker than pass blocker, at least according to PFF, but could be interesting competition for Spencer Brown. But 
upgrade the swing tackle position that was a bit of a liability when David Questenberry had to be on the field last year, and then you'd still have Tommy Doyle coming back from that ACL injury. I think if you get Brandon Shell in the mix here on a cheap deal, you'd feel pretty good about the tackle depth situation with Dawkins, Brown, Shell, and Doyle. All right, the Bills brought back Jordan Poyer. That did not look like something that they were going to do leading up to free agency. It, it felt like a foregone conclusion to me that he was gone. Luca, it feels like the safety market in general outside of Jesse Bates just wasn't a really strong market. And maybe Poyer was a victim of a weak safety market, um, his age being 32 and coming off of a season where even though he's been a very durable player throughout his entire career, he really did pick the worst year of his career going into free agency to have so many serious injuries piling up. Yeah, just bad timing on all all those points you just made. Um, the market definitely drove in a way that I can't imagine Drew Rosenhaus's agent was very thrilled with um, because I imagine the number that Rosenhaus and Poyer were expecting was not close to what it is. When it, when it comes to his contract and everything like that, like, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled with all things when it comes to this Poyer signing. One, a leader, a leader on this defense, on this team, everything like that is coming back. You lost one in Edmonds, losing another in Poyer would have been very, very tough to fill that role in a quick fashion. So the fact that he's coming back as a player is huge. Everything when it comes to his money is fine with me. You're getting a first team all pro safety. And as long as he can stay healthy and hide his back to full health and everything like that, you are potentially getting the best safety duo back on this defense next season. Um, everything like that. It's, it's exciting to have that in the house and everything like that. And then everything he said afterwards, you know, once the signing was official, he was on McAfee, his press conference with the bills, everything like that, his, his little social media clips, all these things. It's everything you wanted to hear. And just, he, I feel like Poyer is the kind of guy that he's not going to give you some BS either about the whole situation. Like he's going to be honest with you. He wears his heart on his sleeve on the field. It doesn't, and the way he has post-game press conferences and everything else, like nothing to me tells me that he just kind of blows smoke up your, you know, you know what, and just will say whatever needs to be said. Like he's going to just tell you how it is. And everything he said was basically, this is his home. He wanted to come back. He He's very happy to be back. And he wants to see it out with this team, with the, players that he's been with now and he can easily see himself retiring as a bill at this point in time you know once he sees out this contract or whatever else happens in his career like he absolutely is very motivated and okay with coming here and even said that it adds to the rivalry you know with all the connections to the dolphins and then them kind of turning their backs on him now that he didn't sign with them and stuff it just adds and it's he's excited for that dynamic too it's like i made it in our notes here just lock him in as a wall of fame right now Tentatively for 2027 in that nice, beautiful new stadium that hopefully will be built by then. Jordan Poyer is going to be in that wall of fame. He's going to be up there uh, as one of the names among all the others. He absolutely uh, deserves to come back, and I'm happy that he's back, and I have no problems with anything. I um, I can't I can't believe I said 0%. Like you said, it just didn't seem like something that was going to happen. I, I'm just so happy to be wrong. Very rarely am I happy to be proven wrong. This is one instance I am very, very happy that I was wrong and Poyer's back, and I am just over the moon. The biggest thing to me, though, was losing Edmonds and Poyer on the field would have been such a noticeable thing to me. Like, you would not be able to recover from that. Hyde coming back would be kind of nice, but overall, like, you can't lose these guys 
all at once. You need to kind of have that gradual uh, changing of the guard. You can't just drop everything from your leadership group and then change it all and expect, you know, high end results. Like there's probably going to be a learning curve in a period in time where you're going to get subpar results. And that was staring us in the face if Boyer left. Like, I'm very, very happy we don't have to deal with that. Well, you have Leslie Frazier leaving. And then Sean McDermott's going to be taking over the play calling, we assume. And he's already juggling a lot on his plate as a head coach, managing the game as the head coach, running the defense. And you saw the quarterback of your defense, Tremaine Edmonds, leave the building. So I imagine there was a sigh of relief from McDermott, knowing how much he's going to be juggling on game day, to have another one of those quarterbacks on his defense, like you mentioned, stay in-house. And like you said, I had gotten myself to the point where I didn't think this was going to happen. So I was already mentally preparing for Poyer leaving. It wasn't until I saw the tweet that he was staying that it hit me how much it meant to me. Like I felt such a feeling of relief and joy, like the same feeling you have when the bills are in a really sweaty game and it feels like they're going to lose and they pulled out the end. Like that's, I didn't realize how important it was to me. And I, I've always loved Jordan Poyer as a player, but I just, I guess I didn't realize how much I didn't want to see him wear another uniform until he signed. And it was just like, it was such a good feeling. And I'm telling you, Luca, looking at a season where Von Miller could miss the first couple months, we don't know what's going to happen with the other edge rusher. That's still a position they, you know, outside of Groot, who we feel good about, you know, Epinesa and Basham. We don't know what we have there. Um, they, they could still bring in a veteran. Maybe Shaq Lawson's out there. They're going to need their back seven to step up and having Hyde and Poyer back there is just going to be so huge for this defense. It could be the absolute difference in this defense staying above water before they get Von Miller back. Some other guys, the bills brought back. We mentioned Tyrell Dotson on a one year, $2 million deal. Dane Jackson and Cam Lewis were both two restricted free agents. The bills quote unquote tendered Dane Jackson, but they essentially agreed to a one year deal with him. That gave him more guaranteed money, but lowered his cap hit. They essentially put a void year there. He gets more money in his pocket. They get more cap relief. Everything's good there. I do want to talk quickly about cornerback, Luca, because I put out a tweet. I got a little bit of pushback on this, but then I was expecting more pushback. I was surprised how many people agree with this because I think Dane Jackson is kind of a meme when it comes to Bills fans. But I, I quote tweeted the Dane Jackson is back. And I was like, I said from our account, this is the best I have felt about the Bills cornerback depth under Sean McDermott. And a lot of people agreed. And I was expecting pushback. I was expecting to have to go in and like defend Dane Jackson. But where I was coming from with that is you have Trey White coming off the second year off of the ACL. You have Kyrie Elam going into year two. With Poyer coming back, a domino effect of that is you assume Christian Benford is going to stay at cornerback. There's three. There's your backup boundary cornerback. You have Taron Johnson, who is just steady Eddie in the slot. I like Cam Lewis as a backup nickel corner, as a safety who can get you out of the game. I don't think he's somebody you want starting, but I think one downstream effect of Taiwan Jones not being brought back is Cam Lewis is going to be active on game days now as a core special teamer, which means when Taron Johnson gets hurt and has to miss the third and fourth quarter or whatever, it's not Saran Neal going in there. It's Cam Lewis. I like that a lot better because Saran Neal should not be on the field for defense. He's a special teamer. But the overall point is Dane Jackson last year with Trey White being hurt 
was the 1A cornerback, and they rotated Benford and Elam. This year, at best, he's the backup boundary cornerback, and that's if he beats out Christian Benford for that role. And obviously, Benford has a chance to beat out Kyer Elam. We understand that. But the numbers they have, Benford and Elam going into the second year, White coming another year off the injury, I feel really good about their cornerback depth. Yeah, Dane, it's it's funny. This conversation we're having is almost like the positive hope that we hope to have with the wide receiver, where it's like everyone just falls back to where they need to to mm-hmm. give us the best production possible. It's like, look, we can't, we went into the year with Dane having to be one of the starters, and then you just see what you have in either Kyrie and then Christian Benford emerged and all of these things, and that was kind of lucky, to be honest, that you have a Christian Benford emerge. But overall now, what you're saying is spot on. It's like you're going to have Trey White, hopefully with a fully healthy offseason coming into there, uh, hopefully with everything better with his knee, kind of more like his old self. I don't expect him to be full back to his old self. Of course, just age and time is what it is. And you're coming back still from that major injury and all that stuff. So whatever you get in Trey White, hopefully it's just still a dependable starter. And then, yeah, you're just running Kyrie and or Christian Benford there. You have the we'll call it higher end backup boundary corner with whoever is not playing between I'll, I'll even say the three of them, right? Like Trey white, there's a potential. I don't think they would have just straight up bench him, but maybe on a game, he's just not having an off day and they just go, Hey, we're going to go Kyrie and Christian Benford or yeah. And it's like, I don't have a problem with that. If Trey's just getting burnt left and right, and it's just not his day, you have that third guy there that is very dependable and reliable and just might be better up to the task that day. And now Dane just becomes that fourth guy, like a rotational player with boundary experience and hopefully can get you out in a pinch if you need him to like, that is Dane's role. And I feel like Dane does that role. Well, Dane is just, as you pointed out, a meme at this point due to the unfortunate circumstance that was last season and him just not being able to kind of rise to the opportunity that was meaningful minutes every week in every game where we needed him to be the starting boundary corner. It just, that's just not who he is as a player. That's not what he can be in this league. And unfortunately that's just the reality of it. I'm okay with him though, being your fourth option. And like Cam Lewis, like you said, as being your backup to Taron Johnson, essentially, or get you out of out in a pinch for safety. Or maybe that's their idea is Christian Benford becomes your guy as a backup in safety. But then you also have now Cam Lewis to be in that rotation there if you need him to like things like that. Like I like having these guys that you can kind of are moving chess pieces all around that secondary. And it's. It's a weird thing to say, you know, not to throw you under the bus here. It's a weird thing to say coming off the year that they did at corner last season, but it makes sense when you really kind of look at the entire picture, look in and understand what is in front of them, because I think you're, you're spot on. Like the, the only year or crew that you could kind of compare it to is when they were having success, when it was not pre-injury Trey white, And then you had Levi Wallace opposite of him and then Dane Jackson and Cam Lewis or whoever else was behind him. But when you look at the high end, that is Kyer Elam, the dependability that is Christian Benford with Trey white at, let's say 80% of what he was two years ago. uh, Yeah. That makes all the sense in the world to me. Like that is a much, much safer and more dependable situation to be in than you know, Trey white at a hundred percent, but then you're going down to Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson. 
Like that is, it makes all the sense in the world to me. I'm with you on that. It's just a funny thing to type out. Mm -hmm. Um, I am shocked. I'm shocked that actually people didn't come at you harder. I figured that would be one that is kind of like low hanging fruit. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're going to get slaughtered for this take, but that good on bills fans maybe for recognizing it for what it was. And it actually making somewhat of sense when you pull, pull the name Dane Jackson out of it and just look at it as a cornerback room. It's like, yeah, no, this all makes sense. This, yep. That makes sense. I'm, I'm with you on that hundred percent. Yeah. I don't want Dane Jackson starting 17 games, but if I need him to start three, I feel pretty good about it. And that's, that's where the bills are now. And you know, it's a good spot to beat. I mean, how many teams right now have a, a third or fourth boundary cornerback on their roster has been a 16 game starter for them and played decently well at, at times. It really is going to come down to the development though, of Kair Elam and Christian Benford and the recovery of Tredavious White. Uh, a couple other moves we brought back, and I, I want to have one more conversation about Trey White in a second. Uh, they brought back Sam Martin, the punter, on a three-year deal. Really is more of a one-year deal, but some money built in there to protect themselves. He got three years, $6 million, and the Bills lost Case Keenum. He went back to Houston to be with the Texans. They brought in Kyle Allen on a one-year, $1.23 million deal. That's about half the price of what Keenum was last year. I read that as Kyle Allen's probably going to compete with Matt Barkley for the QB two spot. He and Josh Allen are really good buds, but we learned last year, Luca, the bills, you know, unless Josh Allen's arm falls off, he's not going to come out of the game anyway. So there's really no, no point in the bills going out there and spending five, six, $7 million on a high end backup. Yeah. You can't, you can't afford to put investment in your backup quarterback with where this team is financially. Um, with the salary cap and everything like that, it's Kyle Allen made perfect sense. It's like, yeah, a very cheap, simple option to bring in. He's, he's got a great relationship with Josh Allen. You know, he's going to understand, you know, he's going to lean on Josh Allen for everything that he might possibly need to. Josh Allen's going to love helping him out and seeing him along and just love having him kind of talking to him on the sideline whenever he needs someone there to just kind of talk. However it is, it may be like the value in Kyle Allen is that. I'm not looking at Kyle Allen or whoever they brought in as someone. It's like, Hey, this guy's going to get us out of a pinch in four games. Like, unfortunately we can't even afford to pay a guy that you can really look at as filling that role. Like, could Kyle Allen do that for us? Sure. Absolutely. But I'll take Kyle Allen out just over a million dollars this year than anyone else realistically for four or 5 million, because we just can't afford to do that. So I'm okay with it. It makes sense. Sam Martin, like you said, just a one-year deal, essentially a little bit of back-end fake money on there. See where that goes and all that kind of stuff. But also love that signing. Just simple. Keep the special teams kind of system in place. It was very successful last season. Don't, don't, you know, don't break what's not broken. Move along with your day. It makes sense for both sides. All, all is good. All is good in the world. I was a big fan of Sam Martin. I love the fact that Tyler Bass had his best season as a, as a pro so far. And a lot of that comes down to the consistency with holding with Sam Martin. I'm a big fan of keeping that entire operation together. Let's have one more Tredavious White conversation. And this is more in relation to the cap. Because right now, based on what Brandon Bean said and then the moves that followed, we estimate that the bills are probably about $13 million under the cap, give or take a million or so. They probably need about $5 million when you combine how much that they're going to spend on their draft picks and how much they want to just have set aside to make moves throughout the year. So there are still ways the Bills can open up cap space. What they have already done is they've restructured Josh Allen and Von Miller. Those were painfully obvious moves the Bills were going to do. Those two moves freed up nearly $32 million 
Uh, we called that out on Twitter on our podcast. That was those are moves they were going to do. They extended Matt Milano, another move that freed up money. Things that they also could do. They extended or they restructured Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs was in a, in a grouping with uh, Matt Milano, Deion Dawkins, and Tredavious White of players that they could either restructure or in Milano's case, they opted to do the extension and save about $4 million. What's interesting about that is I have no problem with the digs one. When you restructure somebody, you want it to be somebody that you feel is like, is you're not going to regret basically adding another year to their deal. You're pushing the guaranteed money down. So it makes it harder to get rid of them. Luca between the names I've mentioned I find it interesting that Tredavious White is not somebody they've restructured yet, and it makes me wonder, looking ahead, if he doesn't have a bounce back here, could he be on the chopping block? Absolutely. I, I think it's a discussion that needs to be had and said and just an option for this team that is absolutely there. So um, it's it's it should be apparent to anyone that's paying attention to something like that that they would have they extended him if they felt like this isn't just his potential last season with the team. Like they want to see what they have. They want to understand what's going on. All of these things. They want to see how Trey white plays this season before they do anything with his number and his contract and everything towards the cap with him because of what is there next off season with his contract and everything involved there. It makes all the sense in the world. Like you want to make sure he he bounces back and he can at least be that 80% of himself and everything looks okay with his knee and you're going to be able to get a dependable kind of player out of him as a boundary corner moving forward where then you can push a little bit of that money back and you can do whatever you need to do to free up cap space. You can't do that right now just due to the high risk nature of where he is as a player health-wise and what you saw last season, you did not see enough, not even close to enough that is like, Oh, we're safe to understand that he's okay. He'll be back and fine. And everything's, you know, everything smells great when it comes to Trey white in his situation. It's like, no, there could be potential issues there. It's something we're not willing to risk financial things even more so down the road to then kind of go into the season, understanding everything's okay. And all of that fun stuff. Like, no, this is something that needs to be kind of, uh, tiptoed around and done cautiously as they are doing right now. You can't afford to do something like that. Unless I will say this, if restructuring him is what possibly brings in like two big blue chip items or whatever it like that they feel is absolutely necessary for this roster when it comes to bringing in a veteran wide receiver and, you know, an Austin Eckler, like whatever that whole situation, if they feel like they need to do something like that and they have to do that. And the only way you get it done is by just pushing money down the road by Trey white. You got to do what you got to do. You're just, now you're playing a risky game there. Like that, that's the only situation I could see them doing that going into this year. Otherwise where it is is where it is. And they're going to really keep a close eye on him this season and you'll probably we'll probably have a good understanding of what they're probably going to do with Trey White come late in the regular season based on his performance and understanding of what's going on. Once you see it there, as long as he's healthy and everything's good, you might see it happen next offseason, pushing the money down the road. Um, or if the play isn't quite there and health is a concern still and all of that fun stuff, he absolutely could be on the chopping block, which is hard to say just because of Trey White and everything like that as a player in person with this team. But I mean, it's a business at the end of the day, unfortunately, and you got to do what you got to do. I mean, this is a team that on one day, one time released 
Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith, and Andre Reed. It is a tough business, and the Sabres certainly had a day like that to themselves where they saw some key players leave on the same day. So just to wrap that point up, if the Bills don't touch Tredavious White's contract, don't push money into the future, they can save $6 million against the cap next year by cutting him or make it a post-June 1 release and save 10.4. That's that's very interesting. I would expect if the Bills do want to clear more money, they obviously could trade at Oliver for $10.7 million. That is kind of a different conversation. They'd have to get to the point where they want to trade out Oliver. And then that that's kind of a different bucket of what we're talking about. I would expect the moves the Bills would do before they did the Trey White deal. The first one, just restructure Deion Dawkins. He's locked in as your tackle. There's no problem pushing money into the future. He's going to be here for a couple more years anyway, at the very least. You can extend Daquan Jones, who is going into the final year of his deal. An extension there is something they need to do. He's their best interior defensive lineman. You can save about 4 or $5 million against the cap there. You could extend Taron Johnson if you want to. That gets a little dicey. He's getting up into the late 20s of his career. I'd feel better at this juncture about a Taron Johnson extension over a Trey White restructure because we know Brandon Bean is capable of making these deals where, yes, it's an extension, but we can still find our way out of it. Although he did not do that with the Matt Milano extension. Matt Milano's here to stay, folks. He's not going anywhere for at least three years. That was a, here's money, here's guaranteed money. You are here for a while, and the Bills definitely planted their flag on Matt Milano. I feel like Trey White's at the end of the list, where like Lucas said, if they've already scratched off all their lotto tickets, if they've already lifted up all the couch cushions, and then a move presents itself mid-season that they feel like can absolutely get them over the hump, that's where they're like, all right, we're doing this. We're going to roll the dice. That's a roll the dice move. I think that's the last on their on their party list. Luca, we've talked about a lot tonight, but we're obviously still here right in the middle of free agency. Are there any positions left that we think that the Bills still need to address? I'll give you mine. I think the Bills still need to find themselves an edge rusher. This is outside of the positions we've already covered tonight. We haven't talked about edge rusher. Von Miller is going to miss the first couple months of the season, probably, we assume, tearing his ACL on Thanksgiving. Shaq Lawson is a free agent. It sounds like the Bills aren't necessarily interested in bringing him back, at least at this point in time. And the Bills need to bridge the gap, not only of the Von Miller injury to get somebody else into that pass rush, but I firmly believe they need to find somebody on this team not named Von Miller and Greg Rousseau who can consistently rush the passer. That has not been A.J. Epinesa. That has not been Boogie Basham. Maybe it happens for them in 2023, but I don't want to rely on that. I think there's three very interesting names out there that are veterans. Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, and Frank Clark, all veterans that still rush the passer at a very high rate that the Bills could be interested in if the price is right. Are there any positions that you would still like to see the Bills address, or do you just want to speak about the edge rusher position that I just laid out? No, edge rusher, edge rusher kind of goes into the, my thought process as well. I just think the defensive line as a whole, and I kind of more, I just for the sake of it, will talk interior defensive line. Like I, I definitely think interior defensive line is something that they should still be kicking the tires on options out there. Um, I don't have a list of players in front of me, unfortunately, at this point in time that I even have like my eyes on, but it, it's what you had there. And just on the defensive line as a whole, this is kind of a more general statement was just not good enough down the stretch. And what you're staring down the barrel of is the exact same thing going into this season. You need to see what's out there 
the edge rusher position, as you're saying, when it comes to a focus on the pass rush, definitely is something that I would, I am with you on. I'd love to see them kind of explore options, see what's out there. There are veteran guys who are proven edge rushers in the pass rush game that are still available. Would love some of those options if they can make the money and contract and everything like that, of course, work. But interior defensive line too, like the interior defensive line outside of Daquan Jones was extremely underwhelming. And we talk about all the time how we don't want to pay at Oliver $10 million that he is currently going to be owed. And it's like, what can we do to improve that group outside of Daquan Jones? Like what else can we add there? Can like, I was excited about Tim settle and everything he could do. And maybe he had a moment or, uh, or two there, but again, it was underwhelming and Ed Oliver underwhelming, like all of these things, like what else is out there? I, I know there's a name that I'm just blanking on right now. He was on the Seahawks. I believe that we were. Recently yeah. Looking. Puna Ford is yeah, Puna the guy Ford. that was thank tagged you. in today. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and he, he kind of pops in a different, different way when it comes to the tape and everything like that and adds a pass rush element on the interior defensive line that this team could use the juice of, but just kick the tires on everything like that. I would love to see that they're at least exploring all the defensive line options as a whole interior. In my opinion, you say edge, it's all the same to me, just across the board down there. They need something different that can provide something different because what you are looking at right now is exactly the same thing. That was just completely underwhelming at the tail end of last season. And if we go into this season with that exact same group as it is, I am not going to be thrilled with that because it's just not, it's not good enough. It's just not good enough. Jordan Phillips is still out there as a free agent. I could get on board with maybe bringing him back on a very low cost deal where you're not relying on him to be that impact player, but I'm with you. Puna Ford makes some sense. I like Matthew Iodinus from the, he was from the, the, I almost said the, the R word from the commanders, um, the football team. He was, he played with Tim settle there. And then he spent last year in Carolina which if you want to connect some dots, when Al Holcomb was the um, interim defensive coordinator, he would have been under Al Holcomb. So there's a dot to connect there. He's a guy that twice in his career has had eight or nine sacks in a season, could provide some interior pass rush. Maybe he's more of a name you look at if the Bills do decide to move on from Ed Oliver. But you know, at this point in free agency, you get a guy that can provide interior pass rush for three or four million dollars. That Sign me up right now. They have to find more juice from their pass rush interior or exterior well luca we have another week of free agency ahead of us it feels like it's slowing down but as the calendar gets closer to april we're going to start to get into draft mode but i think we probably still have one more free agency roster dissection episode in us next week maybe we'll have some bills breaking news to get into Uh, but this was fun this was a good good exercise to kind of look at what the bills have accomplished how they've been a little conservative in free agency And we will see what happens over the next handful of days. Luca and I will be back next week for Bill's chat. And we will wrap up any Bill's news we have. And we will take a deep dive into this roster and really start spinning it forward to the draft and start ironing out where the Bills need to inject some youth into this roster. We will see how that all looks next week. Until next week, we will see you next time on Bill's Chat. Bill's Chat.